So take a few moments to make sure that you're sitting comfortably, relaxed as much as possible, and that your mind is also relaxed in the present, not thinking about the past or things you have to do later. Put aside all other thoughts and let your mind just be right here, right now. And take a few more minutes to renew or refresh the altruistic motivation you generated earlier today. Or if you didn't do that, then do it now. Really try to make sure that we are here participating in this session for the benefit of all living beings, the highest goal becoming a fully enlightened Buddha to help all living beings, but also to be as helpful to others as much as we can between now and that, that state of enlightenment. Now for the, the short meditation. See if you can imagine yourself at the time of death. You can imagine being in bed, maybe you're elderly and or you've been ill for a long time and you're in the final, final stages of life getting close to death. Ask yourself, what state of mind would you like to have at that time? Would you like your mind to be peaceful, accepting of what's happening, having positive thoughts, free of anger, impatience, irritation?
So I'm pretty sure everybody would like to have that state of mind when they're dying. But do you think there's the possibility that disturbing emotions like anger could come up in your mind? Does anger arise in your mind now when things happen that you don't want or don't like and you find it hard to manage the anger but get caught up in it and maybe even act it out? Can you understand that if our mind is habituated to responding with anger, it might be hard to avoid being angry at the end of our life when we find ourselves facing a lot of things we don't like, don't want? So we don't know when we will be facing death. It could happen any day, any time. So see if you can recognize the importance, the urgency of learning how to manage anger. Not only for the time of death, but also for the time between now and then, and for future lives as well. And also, not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of all living beings.
So I have been asked to start reviewing chapter six of Shantideva's text, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. And this is one of my favorite um, teachings. It's, it's kind of like a treasure chest full of really helpful methods for dealing with anger and learning to be more patient. And I believe Venerable Chuni already did a review on the first six verses of chapter six, uh, but that was in October, six weeks ago or so. So it doesn't hurt to go through those again. So I'll just briefly go through the first six verses and then see how many more I can do after that. And also the first few verses um, mainly talk about the faults of anger and the benefits of patience. And just a few days ago, we had a really wonderful teaching from Keshi Tapke on that very topic of the faults of anger and the benefits of patience. So hopefully that's still there in our mind, fresh in our mind. So yeah, it's really, really important um, to recognize that anger is something dangerous. And I was thinking about that insignia. It's kind of a universal insignia with a skull and crossbones. <laughs> Apparently it goes back to the Middle Ages. It started in the Middle Ages, but now, you know, it's there on certain products like cleaning products and so on. So when you see that or on signs, you know, <laughs> maybe when there's some dangerous substance in the air, when you see that sign, you know, we know, oh, danger, there's danger there. I have to be careful. I have to stay away or just be really, really careful, take precautions. And um, yeah, so we need to develop that same awareness with regard to anger, yeah, to see that anger is something dangerous, deadly. <laughs> well, maybe deadly. I don't know. Could be. Yeah, because when people get angry, then they kind of lose their mind and sometimes do things that cause injury or even death to themselves and to others. So, yeah, it can be deadly. Um, but then there's further consequences of anger that will unfold later in this life, future lives, and, and so on. So it's definitely a bad news. So we really need to see that clearly so that even in situations where it may seem like anger is the appropriate response, and we may feel justified in being angry and acting it out, we need to have that awareness in our mind that says, no, 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 oh, no, don't do that, don't do that, that's dangerous. Okay, so uh, in general, chapter six is on the topic of patience, which is the third of the six perfections. And it's quite a long chapter. It has 134 verses. And it covers topics like the faults of anger, the benefits of patience, and then how to stop ourselves from getting angry and how to increase our patience. And it talks about three types of patience. Um, 
One is not getting upset about suffering and learning to bear it. I think it's called voluntarily accepting suffering. So that's actually the first one that is talked about in this chapter. And um, a second type of patience is not retaliating to harm. So even in situations where someone is harming us or harming people we care about, we learn to not react and retaliate to that. And then there's the patience. The third one is the patience of definitely thinking about Dharma. And I'll be using the translation by Stephen Batchelor, but also there's a wonderful book by His Holiness called Healing Anger. Um, he gave teachings on this chapter in, I don't know what year, was anyone there? It was in Tucson, Tucson, Arizona. 93, 1993, yeah. Okay, so the first verse of this chapter says, whatever wholesome deeds, such as venerating the Buddhas and generosity that have been amassed over a thousand eons, will all be destroyed in one moment of anger. That's pretty shocking. <laughs> but it seems that that is talking about a situation where a lower bodhisattva gets anger, angry at a higher bodhisattva. So we recently went through that with Geshe Yeshilundra, all these different scenarios of different beings getting angry at other beings and depending on where you're at in the path and depending on the person you're angry at where they're at in the path then different amounts of of um, virtue uh, merit can be destroyed or damaged so i'm not going to go through all that again um yeah, so it's this this verse is mainly talking about a bodhisattva getting angry at another bodhisattva. And my guess is none of us here are actually bodhisattvas. I could be wrong, but I know I'm not. Um, but yeah, even even if we're not bodhisattvas ourselves, it's still very damaging, very harmful for us to get angry, especially at a bodhisattva. Um because a bodhisattva is a really special person. They have spent a long time, many lifetimes, working on cultivating love and compassion and bodhicitta and the six perfections and so on. And they finally get to the point where their bodhicitta arises naturally, spontaneously, without having to make any effort. Um, so they're, they're a person who's constantly thinking about others and doing everything they do for the benefit of others, trying to help others and creating the causes to become Buddhas, fully enlightened Buddhas, so they can help all living beings become Buddhas as well. So we're talking about a person with a really extraordinary mind and heart and way of behaving. And so getting angry at such a person is particularly negative and will damage 
the virtue that we uh, created. That means it'll take us longer to reach our goal of enlightenment. And there's a possibility of being born in an unfortunate rebirth if we don't purify. So these are results we definitely don't want. So we should really try to avoid getting angry at bodhisattvas. But then the tricky thing is we, we don't always know who is a bodhisattva because they're not always advertising themselves. And there's no list somewhere of, you know, who are all the bodhisattvas uh, nowadays in the world. <laughs> so we... Um, So to be safe, we just try to avoid getting angry at anybody. <laughs> Although, of course, that's not easy to do. Um, but at least we, when anger does arise in our mind, we learn to notice it and try to avoid acting it out and apply antidotes to decrease it and free ourselves from it and transform our minds into something more positive. So those are what we can start doing in the beginning. And it's also said that if we get angry at those who uh, have benefited us very much, especially our parents, teachers, yeah, anyone in, in, this, in this life who's, who's, who's helped us a lot, benefited us. That's also particularly negative. And also anger at the Sangha monastics. So we're kind of in a difficult situation here, dangerous situation, living with Sangha members and, yeah, living very closely, intimately, and working and, and so on. So it's a, yeah, it's a tricky situation where we could easily get angry. But on the other hand, that gives us the opportunity to recognize that we do still have anger and not be lulled into thinking, oh, I'm such a patient person, I don't have much anger. When you live by yourself, you can easily think that way, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm such a patient person. <laughs> but that could be an uh, illusion. So, and then there's also... Um, the practice of purification. So if we do get angry and even act out of anger, then there's every day we can practice 35 Buddhas, Vajrasattva, various practices to purify our karma. So those are some things we can do for now. And then learn antidotes. Like this, this uh, chapter, chapter six is full of wonderful antidotes that we can use. And um, I mean, it's good to meditate, to contemplate the um, antidotes before the situation arises. I mean, if we wait until we're already fully angry and then we think, okay, Shantideva, what should I do? <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's better to get familiar with the antidotes ahead of time and, and then be prepared so that when we find ourselves in a situation, anger is coming up in our mind, we can bring those up. We can think of those. And, um, but yeah, it's very difficult to do that in the beginning. So in the, initially, when we're first starting to work on anger, we'll probably get angry and maybe act it out before we're able to do anything else. But at least then we can use that situation, 
you know, when we have, when our mind is more calm, we can sit down and think back over what happened and try to recognize what was going on in our mind, what we were thinking, and so on. And then, and then find antidotes, you know, and think, okay, if I ever find myself in that situation again, this is what I can think, this is what I can do, so that we can prepare ourselves for future situations and hopefully do better next time. And it's also really important to be kind to oneself, not beat oneself up. This is a tendency many of us have to get um, angry at ourselves for having anger. And it doesn't, you know, anger at ourselves is still anger. And we don't want to increase our anger. We don't want to put energy into anger so it grows. So. Uh, we need to have kindness and compassion and patience towards ourselves as well as towards others. But all of these things do take time, so we need to we need to be patient and just keep practicing um, and not expect it. It's going to be quick and easy. Okay, so the, so the, anyway, this is one useful thought. Uh, with regard to anger, just to think about how it destroys virtue, because it takes a lot of effort to create virtue. We have to get up early in the morning and <laughs> go to the meditation hall and then spend all this time doing these practices and so on. So creating virtue usually doesn't come easily. It takes energy, it takes effort. And, um, and that would be a great shame if you know, we put all this time and energy into creating virtue. And then in one second, in one instant, all that virtue can be wiped out or at least damaged so that it doesn't bring its result. Um, so that would be a bit like if you're, I mean, an ordinary person who has a job and makes money and then maybe at the end of the month they get their paycheck after working so many hours all month, they finally get their paycheck, or maybe it's cash, and then they lose it, you know, falls into a fire or blows away in the wind <laughs> or gets stolen, somebody picks their pocket. So they feel pretty awful about that. So it's kind of similar, working hard to create virtue and then losing it in just a moment of getting angry. So that would be a great shame. And that really helps us to have the determination to not let that happen, to not let ourselves be taken over by, and, by anger and then acting it out. Okay, so then the second verse says, there is no evil like hatred and no fortitude like patience. Thus, I should strive in various ways to meditate on patience. So we can just think about things that happen in the world when people's minds get caught up in hatred. They do such terrible things, like this war in Ukraine that's been going on since February, I think. And yeah, just deliberate acts of, of violence and cruelty. It's just, just horrific. And this is mainly hatred. I mean, there's other factors as well, greed and pride and ego, of course, but 
a lot of it is hatred. So hatred motivates horrific acts of violence and cruelty and causing a huge amount of suffering. And every day in the news there are stories of murders and, yeah, other horrific things that happen. So those are like visible results of anger or hatred. And then um, in some texts, for example, um, a sutra called the Questions of Upali Sutra, the Buddha said that he does not see the same detrimental effects from other non-virtues as he does from anger. So the, the Buddha himself said anger, hatred is uh, worse than other non-virtues. And in Lama Tsongkhapa's commentary, um, which we've been learning with Geshe-eshi, uh, sorry, Geshe-eshi Lundra, um, uh, that text called Illumination of the Intent, he says, when it comes to propelling unwelcome consequences as its effects, and when it comes to harming virtues, there is no evil similar to intolerance, namely anger. And in his, in the, in his commentary here, um, His Holiness said there's two reasons why anger is the greatest evil. One is it's the greatest obstacle to enhancing bodhicitta. Right. So I think all of us here, we're here because we want to, you know, we're inspired by this teaching of bodhicitta, the bodhisattva's path, the attainment of Buddhahood to benefit all living beings. So, you know, we're committing our lives to practicing that as much as we can, cultivating bodhicitta. So anger and hatred are the biggest obstacles. They're like totally opposite. With bodhicitta, we aspire to benefit sentient beings, to help them, to relieve their suffering as much as we can. Whereas with anger and hatred, that motivates us to do just the opposite, to give harm. Um, and, and, you know, if we can't control it, then it does motivate us to act out such actions and give harm to others. So it's a huge obstacle to cultivating bodhicitta and increasing bodhicitta. And then the second reason anger is the greatest evil is its capacity to destroy virtue and calmness of mind. So anger, as we saw in the previous verse, anger can destroy our virtue, but it also destroys the calmness of our mind. So, um, yeah, I think we like having a calm, peaceful mind. It's very pleasant. It's very, and it makes, makes it easier to do our work and interact with others and meditate and so on. So in our mind, the calmness of the mind is disturbed with anger. And that's very easy to see. Just watch your mind when there's anger or even irritation. Um, it's very disturbed, so it becomes difficult to focus on the work that we need to do and have um, 
pleasant and fruitful interactions with others. And when we try to meditate, all we can do is think about <laughs> these angry thoughts. So it's clear that it yeah, disturbs the calmness of the mind. And he also at this point explains the difference between anger and hatred and says that here when, in this um, chapter, um, Shantideva is talking about hatred, shedang in Tibetan. Um, and he says, anger can sometimes be positive. For example, when it's motivated by compassion or it acts as a catalyst for positive action. So, yeah, His Holiness does sometimes say that anger can be um, a catalyst for change and doing things that are compassionate, like um, overcoming injustice. But hatred, he said, hatred can never be positive or beneficial. Then verse 3 talks about some more um, disadvantages of anger. My mind will not experience peace if it fosters painful thoughts of hatred. I shall find no joy or happiness. Unable to sleep, I shall feel unsettled. So it's good to check what happens in our body and our mind when there's anger, and I'm sure we've all done that. We can see it easily. Um, it affects our ability to be happy and to enjoy things, even our favorite food or going for a walk in nature, which we normally love. But if our mind is caught up with thoughts of anger and hatred, then we can't enjoy anything. Nothing gives us happiness. <laughs> And it becomes difficult to sleep. If you have a lot of angry thoughts going on in your mind, then it's hard to fall asleep. And even if you do fall asleep, you might wake up in the middle of the night with these angry thoughts in your mind and have difficulty going back to sleep. So it definitely disturbs the peace of our mind. And also health. There's scientific I heard research done that shows anger also is harmful for our health. Like... Uh, high blood pressure, heart problems, heart disease. So it's toxic. Anger is toxic, both for our body and our mind. It also affects our ability to think clearly. So if we have to make a decision or some kind of choice that's very, very important, and, and it can be difficult to make a wise skillful decision when our mind is caught up in anger. So, in brief, it harms us in this life and in many lives to come. And then verse 4 uh, talks about some other disadvantages of anger. He says, a master who has hatred is in danger of being killed even by those who, for their wealth and happiness, depend upon his kindness. So, um, I guess this is talking about a person who's like an employer and has employees. And if the employer 
is, has a lot of anger and hatred and mistreats, abuses employees, then they might uh, end up killing him. I can't think of any case of that, but there probably are <laughs> cases of that happening in the world. Um, but what came to my mind was this, um, this story I read about um, a father, and this is in Russia, um, there was this man who was a father, and he, he had three teenage daughters that he kind of imprisoned. He, he kept them at home, wouldn't let them go out, and, and it was very controlling. And he abused them over and over and over again, physically, emotionally, sexually. And finally, one day, they killed him. So I think this happened about four years ago, and the, the, it's still going on. I think the, the girls were arrested and put into prison, and, you know, and of course it's not a good thing to kill your father, <laughs> but on the other hand, I guess they just felt desperate, and I think they tried going to the police sometimes, but they were just ignored, because some societies seem to have this attitude that, Oh, men can do what they want. You know, a husband can beat his wife, a father can abuse his kids. It's fine, no problem. We're not going to get involved in that. So anyway, that's one <laughs> one case of that illustrates this. Yeah. So even though they were children of this man um, and probably did depend on him for their wealth and their life. But because of his hatred and his cruelty, then he ended up being killed by them. So this kind of thing can happen. I'm not quite sure how specific it is, but over the years we've had a number of mass shootings in our post offices that an employee went in, it was either the manager or somebody or even, you know, going after the person in authority that they work under that has either annoyed them or frustrated them or done something harmful and um, just, just shooting them. Mm -hmm. Just happened at a Walmart in Virginia. There was a disgruntled employee who was fired and he came back and was shooting. Mm. Yeah. Killed six people. So another disadvantage of anger that people might get so angry at us, they might kill us or harm us in some way. Okay, the fifth verse says, by it, friends and relatives are disheartened. Though drawn by my generosity, they will not trust me. In brief, there is nobody who lives happily with anger. So I thought we could, we could just um, think about people we know, friends, relatives, who have a lot of anger and frequently act out their anger with their speech and their behavior and so on, and just check how that affects us. How are we affected by another person's anger, especially someone in our circle of family and friends? So that can be very helpful to recognize how one person's anger affects others who are nearby, and then apply that to ourselves. because. I mean, when we get caught up in anger, we're just so focused on our anger and why we're angry, we may not be fully aware of 
the people around us and how they were affected by that. So, well, self-cherishing and ego <laughs> takes over and we're only thinking about me and my side of things and not thinking about others and their side of things. So this could be, this is very helpful then to think, oh, how are we affected by another person's anger? And then turn that around and think, oh, so this is how other people around me are affected when I'm angry and I'm acting out my anger, speaking it and acting it and so on. So we can probably feel uncomfortable and fearful, mistrust and wanting to keep a distance from that person, maybe even anger and aversion and yeah, different kinds of emotions. So see, this is this is what happens to other people when we are angry. Yeah. So he says, in brief, there's nobody who lives happily with anger. I think that's true. Anger just destroys happiness, destroys peace of mind. It's just the opposite to um, a happy state of mind. So then, verse 6 says, Hence, the enemy, anger, creates sufferings such as these. But whoever assiduously overcomes it finds happiness now and hereafter. Here he's calling, the en- he's calling anger the enemy, the enemy anger. Um, so I think we need to be careful about that. Venerable Dapel spoke a little bit about this in her BBC the other day. Careful not to identify with our anger. It can happen so easily. I think it's just natural. Whenever emotion comes up in our mind, there's this tendency to identify with it. And that is me. That is who I am. And so with all this talk about, you know, the disadvantages of anger and how anger is so bad, anger is the enemy and so on, if we identify with our anger, then there's this sense of, oh, that means I am bad. When anger arises in our mind, I am bad. I am my own enemy. So this can be kind of subtle, but we need to look out for it because, um, again, it's not appropriate to then turn our anger against ourself and, and feel I am my own enemy and I have to destroy myself or punish myself somehow. So in that way, we're just creating more suffering for ourselves, not getting ourselves out of suffering. So it's important to understand the problem is anger. And what is anger? Anger is just a mental factor. It's just one aspect of our mind among many, many, many aspects of our mind. And it's not always there. We can see that for ourselves if we watch our mind. We can see there's moments when we're not angry, anger isn't in our mind. It's something that is transitory, comes and goes. It's occasional. It's an occasional visitor (laughs) to our mind. Maybe some people have it more often than others, (laughs) but... Yeah, if we're realistic, you know, being realistic about our experiences, we'll probably see that, yeah, there's a lot of moments when it's not there. It comes and goes. And so it's not who we are. 
Because there's lots of lots of times I'm here, but not anger. So if I was my anger, then when there's no anger, then I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a simple way of thinking about it. But yeah, just to recognize I am not my anger. Anger is just a mental factor that sometimes pays a visit, pops up in the mind because of causes and conditions. Now, I don't think anybody really chooses to get angry, wants to get angry. I don't know. That would be a bit perverse, you know, to get up in the morning and say, I want to be as angry as possible today. I want to have continuous, nonstop anger in my mind. I don't know. There might be people like that, but that's pretty weird. <laughs> I don't think any of us are like that. So we don't choose to have anger. We don't have control over it. But rather, causes and conditions come together, and then poof, it pops up. This is actually something Shanti David talks about later in this chapter about how anger arises due to causes and conditions. Many, 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 many causes and conditions, and we don't have choice or control over most of those. So it's not really our fault. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to get angry at ourselves and blame ourselves when anger pops up in our mind. We didn't choose. And the good news is there's lots of remedies, lots of antidotes. And if we familiarize ourselves with those, learn those, practice those, then gradually our anger will get weaker and weaker, will come up less and less often. And even when it does come up, we'll be on top of it. We'll be able to manage it rather than it being on top of us. So this verse is kind of a summary of the faults of anger. It's an enemy, it creates suffering and so on. And then the last two um, lines is talking about patience and uh, the opposite of anger. So if we are able to overcome anger, then we will find happiness um, now and hereafter. Um, so he doesn't sort of go into details at this point with the benefits of patience, but um, we can just think of the opposite, <laughs> whatever is opposite to anger. So um, we'll have positive experiences in our body and mind. It's good for our health and our ability to live long. It's good for our mind. Our mind will be more peaceful, happy, calm. So we have good experiences, physical and mental. And our relationships with other people will go well. If we have more patience, more kindness, more love, rather than anger. So have nice interactions with others, uh, working together, talking together, and so on. These will go well with, without anger, with patience instead. And then mentally we'll be able to think more clearly. Our mind will be more clear. And so when it comes to doing our work, making decisions, studying, meditating, and so on, then those things will go better with patience. So those are like immediate advantages of patience that we can see now. And then for the for long term, our future rebirths will be good ones. 
will have a beautiful body. <laughs> That's what they say. That's one of the one of the um, uh, consequences. It says anger makes you ugly, and patience makes you beautiful. So that's for the future. But even now, I mean, even in now, uh, in the present, you know, when someone is really angry, do they look attractive? <laughs> On the other hand, even someone who may not be super attractive, but if they're a very patient person, very kind and patient, then there's some kind of beauty about them. Yeah. So even in an immediate sense, we can see that yeah, it affects our physical appearance. And, I mean, you know, we're not trying to be beautiful, but there is a benefit from the point of view of, uh, for bodhisattvas because we want people to be attracted to us and trust us so that we can more easily influence them and help them. If we're really ugly and scary-looking, we're going to scare people away. <laughs> so then harder to benefit others. So there is a benefit to having an attractive appearance uh, to do one's bodhisattva deeds. So anyway, this is really important to um, clearly recognize the disadvantages of anger and come to see it like something poisonous, like a toxin. And just as we want to get rid of toxins in our body, if we want to be healthy, we want to have a body free of toxins, then we also want to free our mind from mental toxins. So we need to see anger as harmful, dangerous, poisonous, toxic, and then see its opposite, patience, love, compassion, as healthy and beneficial. And in, the, in his commentaries, Holiness says, once we clearly recognize the faults of anger and the benefits of patience, we will have enthusiasm for to decrease um, anger and increase. And, um, and then a good place to start is investigating the causes and conditions of anger. So this is a very Buddhist way of looking at things. What are the causes and conditions that give rise to anger? And if we can identify those, we can lessen those, stop those, and then we'll stop anger from arising. So the next verse, verse 7, says, Having found its fuel of mental unhappiness in the prevention of what I wish for and in the doing of what I do not want, hatred increases and then destroys me. So this verse is very, very helpful because it points out one of the main conditions for anger arising in our mind and that is being unhappy, having an unhappy, unsatisfied, discontent mental state. So we can do an experiment. We can um, look at situations where anger was coming up in our mind and then just check what was going on in our mind before that. Was our mind feeling happy and content and satisfied, calm and peaceful? Or were we already on edge? Were we already feeling kind of unhappy about something, grumbly, 
grumpy, cranky, <laughs> discontent about something, we'll probably find that, yeah, our mind was already in a kind of bad state. We woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something happened that we were unhappy about and we're still carrying this, you know, this unhappiness around with us and then another thing happens and then, poof, that's like the, the last straw that um, triggers off anger. So if we can watch our mind and try to avoid unhappiness, discontent, dissatisfaction, and there's less chance that anger will arise. So Geshe Yeshitake talked about this the other day. And he said it's really important to learn how to keep our mind positive no matter what happens. And we have plenty of opportunities to train in this because there probably isn't a day that goes by that there isn't at least one, but probably more than one, um, occurrences that go against what we want. Yeah, we want things to happen in a certain way, and then they don't happen that way. They happen in the opposite way. We want people to treat us in a certain way, look at us in a certain way, talk to us in a certain way, and they don't. They do the opposite. <laughs> So there's plenty of opportunities um, where we could get unhappy and discontent, and that, and then that's followed by anger. So, um, so it's good to recognize this this sequence. You know, something happens that we don't like, or doesn't happen the way we want it to happen. Then we feel unhappy about that, discontent about that, grumpy, grumbly. Then anger. So we can make the determination to be mindful, aware of what's going on. And when there are things happening that we don't like, use those situations to practice, um, to do something. Learn to be more patient. There's also lots of methods in the Lojong thought transformation teachings, how to transform adverse conditions into the path. Tonglan, so I was thinking about this recently because last winter, and I think the winter before as well, I found that I would get these cuts on my fingers. Sometimes I don't even know where they came from, but suddenly there'd be a cut on my finger. And it wouldn't heal because of the cold and the dry and washing my hands a lot, you know, and it just be there and and painful because you're using your fingers, especially typing on the keyboard. So it's like painful and 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 it started happening again recently you can see you often see me with band-aids on my fingers <laughs> i'm trying to protect myself but i made this decision i'm not going to let this upset me and, you know in the past i got oh kind of fretful about it so this time i thought okay i'm going to practice lojong i'm going to practice tonglen <laughs> when this happens so i hope i can keep that up um so far so good Although yesterday I kind of blew it a little bit when I had to walk up the hill because <laughs> I was walking up the hill and poor me, they didn't come to plow my driveway. I couldn't drive. I have to walk. Nobody came to pick me up. So there was 
I could at least I could recognize that was self-cherishing, and I didn't <laughs> manage to keep my mouth shut. I didn't say anything, but yeah, but still, <laughs> kind of sliding into that state of mind. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So we have plenty of opportunities to put this into practice, and. Yeah, so if we notice our minds sliding in that direction, leaning in that direction of being unhappy, complaining, blaming, discontent, and self-pitying, and so on and so forth, just say, no, 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 I'm not going to let that happen. Especially recognizing how that can easily lead to anger. Anger and blame and all kinds of negative stuff. So... So um, it's hard to stop the mind from being unhappy. You know, unhappy thoughts and feelings will probably come up. But if, if we can at least notice it as soon as possible, recognize it as soon as possible with this awareness of the danger. It's just like in the summertime, you know, when it's really dry here and uh, all the grass and the trees and everything is dry and it's like 100 degrees and we're really careful about sparks or ashes or any tiny thing that could start a fire because we know even a tiny little spark could just be disaster. So we're super, super careful even about tiny little things like that. So kind of similar, you know, if we can recognize that a spark of discontent, unhappiness, complaining, whatever, that kind of thought coming up in our mind, that could lead to anger. So take care of that. Deal with it as quickly as possible. Then verse 8 says, Therefore I I should totally eradicate the fuel of this enemy, for this enemy has no other function than that of causing me harm. So what Shantideva is saying is, like he's making a commitment to overcome mental unhappiness because he sees that that is like fuel for hatred or that's like the spark that can cause anger and hatred to arise. And that is such a harmful thing. It brings nothing but harm, suffering, problems now and in the future. And of course, it's a huge obstacle to achieving our goals, especially enlightenment. And at this point in His Holiness's commentary, he talks about the difference between um, the enemy of anger and an ordinary enemy. I think this also comes up somewhere else in the text, that um, an ordinary enemy isn't always engaged in harmful activities. <laughs> Maybe sometimes they do negative things, but at other times they're eating and sleeping and playing with their kids and, you know, just doing normal things, not harmful things. They're not constantly 24 hours uh, harming us. However, hatred, the enemy of hatred or anger, doesn't have any beneficial function. Doesn't, you know, it's only function is to be harmful, to destroy. And that's what Shantideva says, this enemy has no other function than that of causing me harm. 
So that's helpful to realize too. There's nothing really beneficial about anger, except they do say that one, the one good thing about anger is that it can be overcome. <laughs> it's possible to get rid of it. <laughs> but I think it's also my experience, and I heard Gishima Kelsung Wong say this as well, that um, another benefit is that when it does arise in our mind, it gives us an opportunity to learn a lot to learn about anger and its effects and, and understand it better and learn how to work with it. And if we do work with it and reduce it and in, increase the opposite states of mind, we, we grow a lot in our practice. We learn um, yeah, greater wisdom, greater patience. So it's, it's an opportunity for growth and learning. It's not really so much a benefit of anger itself, but rather <laughs> if we have the right attitude and if we work with the anger uh, in, a, in a skillful way, then it can be, can be an opportunity for learning and growth. So it's a little bit like, you know, some kinds of substances that are normally poisonous, but they can be used um, as like, I don't know, like snake venom, I think is an example. Snake venom, um, normally it's poisonous, but there's some benefit to it, something beneficial we can do with it if you use it in the right way. It's an antidote, okay. <laughs> well, it's also, also uh, vaccines. Yeah. Don't they take a small quantity of the actual virus or the thing that's harmful, they take a small quantity of that and make it into a vaccine to protect. Yeah. Hmm? Homeopathic medicine is like that as well. Yeah. So there are examples of that where you have this thing that's normally harmful, poisonous, could be harmful, but it's used in a skillful way to actually protect you or cure you or benefit yeah, so um, that, that's not to say, you know, we should strive to have more anger so that we can work with it. <laughs> but, but when it does arise, yeah, if we're very skillful, then we can use that situation uh, to help our, the growth of positive qualities and creating, creating virtue as well. So if we can transform that situation and have more patience rather than anger, we're creating virtue, we're purifying um, negative karma and so on. So, so that's some benefit. Okay, so the next verse, uh, Shanti is expressing his commitment to combat unhappiness, the fuel of hatred, his action plan. He says, whatever befalls me, I shall not disturb my mental joy. For having been made unhappy, I shall not accomplish what I wish, and my virtues will decline. So he's saying, no matter what happens, I won't let my mind be disturbed, be unhappy, lose mental joy. And His Holiness said the meaning of mental joy um, is a state of calmness and stability. It's the, it's the counter factor of discontent, mental happiness. So he's determining I'm going to keep my mind in a positive state, a joyful 
calm, stable state, no matter what happens. Because otherwise it's the danger. If you get unhappy, then you could get angry and then all those bad consequences. So this next verse I love. This is one of my favorite verses. 10 says, why be unhappy about something if it can be remedied? And what is the use of being unhappy about something if it can't be remedied? So this verse, it's really good to memorize it or at least get the gist of it and, you know, keep that in the mind because it's so helpful. I mean, that's my experience anyway. Um, so the way we can use it is when there's some misfortune, something is happening we don't like, other, something is happening other than how we want it to happen and so on. Um, ask ourselves, is there something I can do? Is there a remedy, a solution to this? And if there is, often there is. There is something we can do, then do it. Put your energy into that. Because otherwise, just sitting around being unhappy and the mind is going over and over and over, playing this tape, you know, oh, it's so awful, it's so terrible, why does this have to happen to me, and so on, all those kind of thoughts. <laughs> That's just totally useless. doesn't do any good at all, and it just makes you more unhappy. Yeah? It's like you're playing this tape, continuous tape, um, that just makes you more and more unhappy, more and more discontent. <laughs> So that doesn't do any good. So look for a solution and apply the solution. The solution may not work, but at least you try, and it might work. It's possible. So there are often are solutions, things we can do about a problem, and, and we might be able to um, solve the problem. But uh, there are also situations where there's nothing that can be done, like the weather. We say, oh, I don't want it to snow today. I was going to go on a, have a, have a picnic. <laughs> well, we can't change the weather. That's not possible. So, yeah, there are situ situations like that, that we can't do anything. We can't stop the problem. We can't get rid of the problem. But even if we can't change the external situation, we can change the internal one. We can change our mind, our attitude, our way of thinking do something there. Let me finish. Um, so, yeah, so if there is a situation we're unhappy about or could even be very harmful, very very negative, like the war in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, that's not something we can stop. But we can do things with our mind. Making prayers, doing meditation, sending donations. So... There's always something we can do if we're creative. And recently Venerable had these books, wasn't it? Somebody wrote these books. Was it, was it about the war in Ukraine? Yeah, these cute little books. So this person, you know, put her energy into writing books and making them available for others. So there are things we can do. And, and, and that will help our own mind to stay positive, peaceful, happy. And also, it will probably affect the people around us. Because if we're sitting around being unhappy and complaining and blaming, then other people will do the same. That kind of, it's like a virus that spreads. So that's not helpful for anybody else. But if we can keep our mind positive and 
do positive things, constructive things, that will affect others. They will be able to be more positive. They may also think of constructive solutions that they can use. Often when I'm angry, I want to do something about it. But then I get confused, like, what should I do? And so it's like, I get stuck in that, like, oh, I can do something about this. What is it? And then I think, oh, that's, you know, I don't want to just jump into like some reactive mode in which I often do just go confront the person right away. Um, so I think, yeah, you have to get out of that angry state of mind before you can figure out what's the good thing to do. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Things that we, solutions we come up with based on anger will probably not be very effective. (laughs) I remember uh, one time I was visiting my mother and and we were watching the news one night and there was a story about some animal activists somewhere in the Midwest who raided a mink farm and opened the cages and let the minks out. And and they were talking about what a disaster this is because minks are like really vicious and and so them running around in the forest will endanger other species so so even though they had this wish to benefit the minks and get them out of those cages and and safe as well because otherwise they're going to get killed and their fur made into mink coats um so there was some positive attitude there but first of all they did something illegal they stole property they they should have raised the money and bought them and took care of them. And, and, and then endangering other, other species. Yeah so, yeah, so sometimes when there's anger in the mind, our mind doesn't think very clearly. And the solutions that we come up with will just make things worse rather than better. Um, yeah, so it's good to calm yourself down and say, okay, let's... Go away, calm down, take some deep breaths, think about this. And you could also talk with somebody, talk with one of the seniors, um, say, look, I'm having this problem, this situation. Can you help me find a solution? So talk to someone with more knowledge, more experience, more wisdom. That's also very helpful. Not talking to vent, just complain about this person, but sincerely seeking help um, and what what would be the best way of dealing with that situation. Yeah, so this verse, very, very helpful. Yeah, so there's two situations here. So when we have a, a problem or a situation we're not happy about, we don't like, then it's good to sit down, calm our mind down, and then ask ourselves, is there a solution? Is there a remedy? Is there something I can do? to at least try to solve this problem, remedy this problem. And if there is something we can do that's not gonna be harmful or illegal or unethical, then put our energy into that. Um, And on the other hand, you know, there's nothing that can be done. Can't change the weather, can't stop the war in Ukraine, then what he's saying, what he says here, what's the use of being unhappy? 
You know, just letting our mind dwell in unhappiness. Oh, isn't this terrible? Oh, why does he have to do that? Oh, you know, those kind of thoughts. It's not useful at all. Just keep keeping our mind unhappy, then maybe angry. We could end up getting angry and affecting others with our anger as well. So don't let your mind go down that path. Instead, like I say, there's always something that can be done, at least on the mental level, on the meditative level. There's practices of lojong and tonglen and meditating on loving kindness and compassion. So there's many, many, many practices we can do, saying prayers, mantras, and so on. So there's always something we can do, at least on the mental level, on the spiritual level, about a situation, even if we can't stop it out there. Um, I may have told this story before, but there's one wonderful teacher I was fortunate to meet and have some teachings from, Dema Locha Rinpoche. You meet Dema Locha Rinpoche, a wonderful lama. So once he was visiting Singapore, and and um, we had this little monthly newsletter, so I did an interview with him for our newsletter, and I asked the question, something like, was there ever a time when you, you know, you, you experienced a lot of problems and difficulties, and how did you deal with that? I thought that could be inspiring. And so he said, he said, well, most of my life I didn't have any problems, <laughs> despite the fact that he was a refugee <laughs> escaping from India, <laughs> escaping from Tibet and India and so on. But he said there was one point in his life, it was after he'd already escaped and he was living in India, and I think he was still studying maybe, still completing his studies, and it was during the Cultural Revolution, Cultural Revolution, and he heard all these stories about, you know, what they, this craziness that they did. They just went and destroyed temples and statues and Dharma books and put people in prison and so on. So was hearing all those stories about what was happening in Tibet, he said he got really, I don't remember the exact words he used, if he said depressed or despair, but anyway, his mind really went down. And he went to see Ling Rinpoche, previous Ling Rinpoche, and um, talked to him. And Ling Rinpoche quoted this verse. <laughs> and he said that snapped him out of it. That really helped him get out of that state of mind and get back to his, his studies. And Yeah, so it's yeah very, very helpful. It's similar to the serenity prayer. You know, the serenity prayer in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's kind of similar. Although that adds, what is it, God or... Sorry? You can leave God out, yeah. <laughs> or you could say Buddha. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, how does it go? Yeah, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, to change the things that I can. And, oh, this is the... The wisdom. And the wisdom to know the you know difference. The difference. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that isn't quite in Shanti Devas, and I think it's very helpful. So look at, okay, what can be changed? And if there's something that can be changed, do it. But on the other hand, there's things that cannot be changed, and so those need to be accepted. And to have the wisdom to know the difference. I think that's a very beautiful, wonderful prayer. Number 11, he says, For myself and for my friends, I want no suffering, no disrespect, no harsh words, and nothing unpleasant. 
But for my enemies, it is the opposite. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so this situation is rooted in self-grasping ignorance. So we have this sense of a real solid I that exists independently and inherently, objectively on its own. So that's very much at the core of our existence. And in reality, there is no such I, but most, most people never check to look, check if it's true or not, and they just go along with it. And, but, and our mind is so habituated with thinking this way from beginningless time, so it's just like a really deep, long-term habit. So we have this strong sense of I, and then we also have a strong sense of I versus others. So there's an I over here, and then other over there. And they also seem real, solid, independently existing, objectively existing. And the man among others, we tend to discriminate the opposite of equanimity. So those that I like, and that's based on whether they make me happy or not. <laughs> so if they make me happy, if they're good for me, they're my friends. I like them. And then if they don't make me happy, or and the opposite, if they make me unhappy, if they are somehow threatening or harmful to me, then they are the enemies. I don't like them, I don't trust them. And then there's everybody else, those who are neither helpful nor harmful to me. It's always from this point of view. It's always based on me, from my point of view. And then based on that biased, way of looking at oneself and others, then we want only good things, happiness, good experiences for me and those on my side, my friends, my family. But then when it comes to the enemies, we want the opposite. He doesn't spell that out, but you know, <laughs> we don't want them to be happy. We don't want them to have good experiences. And yeah, if they could have problems, that would be nice. <laughs> so, so due to this attitude, then we can be very unhappy when bad things happen to me and my friends, like our political party loses an election. That's a cause of unhappiness. Um, and then when good things happen to the other side, when that political party wins an election, <laughs> then we're not happy. So His Holiness said this verse is talking about the eight worldly concerns. So basically feeling happy and delighted about pleasant things and being miserable about unpleasant ones. And usually the eight worldly concerns are explained in terms of just oneself good things happening to me versus bad things happening to me. But here, Shantideva extends them to include others as well. But that does seem to be the way our sense of I works. Our sense of I, me, mine does expand and include my friends, my relatives, my political party, people on my side, people who think the same way I do, Buddhists versus 
<laughs> the others. <laughs> yeah, so... And then the others who are not part of my group and my way of thinking, have a different way of thinking, they become enemies. So then when, uh, you know, good things are happening to me and my friends, my relatives, um, we feel happy about that. When bad things are happening, we feel unhappy about that. But I was thinking about, it seems like there's a fine line between this kind of attitude and compassion. Yeah, because if a friend, let's say an abbey person um, living in the abbey, one of the abbey residents is sick or in pain or unhappy, depressed, going through difficulties, we're affected by that. We're, we, you know, it's hard to be happy when that person is unhappy or unwell. So that looks like compassion on the one hand, but it could also be this, this kind of attitude of um, this biased attitude. And I've heard His Holiness say this. I, I don't know where it's written, but I've just heard it like in public teachings. He says that if our compassion arises only for family and friends, then it's not genuine compassion. I don't remember the exact words he uses, but it's kind of tainted, maybe more of attachment than genuine compassion. Because genuine compassion, ideally, should extend to everybody, not just my family, my friends. But on the other hand, I think we have to start somewhere. And if we can at least have compassion for family and friends, that's better than not having compassion for anybody. So as long as we recognize that, okay, this compassion that I feel for my friends and my family, I would like to have that for others, even the other side, even people making war, the people making trouble, <laughs> people thinking in a totally opposite way to me. So working on that, having compassion for them as well. I just realized we're out of time. I... Okay. There's two minutes if somebody has a question, a burning question. Um, this is more of a comment, um, but... I watched a lot of TV shows growing up, and some of the main characters were like kind of crazy, like psychotic, or really depressed, or just very nervous kind of characters. And um, sometimes I wonder, like, because this actor has been generating this kind of mind for years for their work, like, I wonder what that does to their mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And if they ask, can, like... You can ask Richard Gere. <laughs> Sometimes plays characters that are... Yeah. <laughs> this helps or not, but, you know, the whole idea about not being angry towards someone. And Venerable said, even if you go up into the forest and you get up there and you get into the middle of Bodhisattva loop and you just yell and stamp your feet that, as loud as you can just to let off steam and get it out, she says you're still habituating that mind. So 
I don't know whether that has some comparison, but it's like the mind itself, the, the generating of that mental factor, even if it's fake. Because some of these great actors, I mean, they, they just embody the feeling so much that it, mm. you know, it's like they, they step into the role so completely. It's, like, it's the same mind. It's not like somebody else's mind's doing the job. I guess you could also, though, think of it as this is helping me understand that kind of person so that I can have more compassion for them. So yeah, if you're really wise and really skillful, it could be used that way, but yeah. Um, this question reminded me of uh, a sutra that I don't remember the actual name of in the Pali canon, where there is a reference um, to an occasion when Buddha was asked about the, the lives of artists and the, he didn't sound good towards them. And then the general feeling is, are all artists like this? Or how do we uh, parse the, the Buddha's words uh, there in the explaining artists? Is, does this apply to all the artists? So I, I can get where her question is coming. And, and that was asked, there was in one of the questions that the uh, Eastern Horizon editors asked us to respond to. So I had to really make a distinction between what their motivation is, etc., etc. Uh, but definitely the trend is there in the case of artists, where they kind of uh, play into the hands of their audience, irrespective of whether it's ethical or unethical. And that's how the trend can get them deeper and deeper into the habit. So, and that also exposes themselves to their fans, which would very easily catch that and take that as a virtue, as a way of showing mm, uh, kind of a sh showing camaraderie, uh, so that's how the negativity may be spreading. So that's what the Buddha may be alluding to. But anyhow, interestingly, there is a sutra there, and that's making um, people uh, think twice of what actually is going there. Yeah, I think one would need a lot of wisdom and a lot of yeah, very strong mind to be able to play roles like that and um, yeah it's, there was something I never really thought about so we should stop here and dedicate the merit